Welcome back. This is Martin Strong in for Ben. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, people in Ottawa breathed a sigh of relief, of relief yesterday after the so-called rolling thunder protesters left the city yesterday. They showed up on Friday. Uh, uh, there were about uh, 10 people arrested, mostly people who had been ordered not to come back after the trucker convoy, uh, where protesters made themselves at home and wouldn't leave back in February. For most residents there, uh, back then it was just a nightmare just to get around, to go to work, to go shopping. It became impossible. Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, says residents there are exhausted. Uh, they've just had enough. And this probably included people who may have been supportive of the cause. Uh, in the lower mainland of British Columbia, they know that feeling all too well. The group Save Old Growth, which is protesting logging practices in the province, they have staged 11 direct action blockades in April. Uh, for example, a week ago, a woman, 37 years old, was charged with mischief as protesters blocked the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge, which in Vancouver is one of the heaviest commuter routes in town. And uh, in BC, if you talk to most people on the street, they are at least sympathetic to the cause. These are ancient forests being chopped down. And it's, you know, BC, you get a lot of people who agree. Um, they would sign a petition, but you stop them from getting to work. And uh, that's a whole different thing. Are these demonstrators making a mistake? Well, Bill Thielman is a political columnist and former NDP political strategist, and Bill is with us now. Hi, Bill. Good to have hey, you. Martin. Hey, Martin. Thanks. Yeah, so speaking on a broad level, uh, all these different causes, um, are, are, are these protesters making a mistake, or are we just less empathetic than we used to be? Oh, I think people are definitely empathetic, but I think the protesters have gone and taken some fairly extreme tactics that are counterproductive to their cause. I mean, when you see people, you mentioned the, the, the Ironworkers Bridge, people are crazy gluing their hands to the asphalt. And this has happened on multiple occasions uh, that we've seen this. When you take uh, an extreme adhesive and glue <laughs> yourself to the road, I don't think most people say, hey, right on, that's what I should do. They think, wow, that's kind of crazy. And I don't think, uh, so that's part one. Part two is there are people in uh, the lineups that these traffic jams that cause who are taking sick kids to the doctor or even the hospital or going to a medical appointment, just trying to get to work or get home, have important uh, appointments and things that they have to do. And those people are definitely going to be alienated. No one's sitting in, the, in a giant lineup going to miss a job interview and say, gee, you know, I totally support these uh, ancient forest protesters, and I guess I won't get my job, but that's just a small price for me to pay. That's not what they're saying. And so we saw uh, uh, people who were in these lineups that were stuck behind protesters take matters into their own hands, which is a little scary, and drag people off the road. Fortunately, none of them were crazy glued, or we would have had severe injuries, but um, it just shows you how far they're going. And, I, and we've had this investigation Vancouver for a while. I mean, Vancouver is kind of the protest capital of Canada, I think. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not building support for your movement. It's actually alienating it. Yeah. So what, what do you see as the difference between, say, what's going on in British Columbia with the old growth forest protesters and what's going on in Ottawa with, uh, you know, last weekend's bikers and, you know, the, the freedom truckers? Do you see any difference there? 
Not fundamentally, no. I mean, there's different causes, and, and one would be seen as more of a right-wing or libertarian, more of an environmental or perhaps left-wing protest. But at the root of it, if you are inconveniencing people in the extreme, as Ottawa was more with the trucker protest, uh, with the horns going off and the occupation and people not being able to go about their business, enjoy their, their peace and quiet at home, any time you do anything like that, you're going to be losing support. It's not. It's one thing to say I'm willing to stand up as Martin Luther King, as Mohandas Gandhi did, and I'm willing to be arrested for uh, violating the law because that's how I'm going to pro- publicly protest, and I'm willing to do that. Um, that's one thing. But when you just you know, fundamentally disrupt people's lives for no great purpose, who have absolutely nothing to do with it, um, and for an extended period uh, or repeatedly, then I don't understand how you're getting across your message. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't Martin Luther King walking across a bridge in Alabama. This is in, to protest the, the, the lives of, of black people in the southern United States and how they were being terribly abused and, and killed, etc. This is people who are saying, basically, you know, I'm, I'm an environmental protester. I'm going to glue myself to the road so people can't get to work or to get to school. Do you think that a lot of these protesters are being too vague? Because it, it seems like, uh, you know, the the rolling thunder protesters, uh, they seem to have a pretty vague message to me. Do you think that you think they're all being too vague? Well, those ones, I would say, yes. I mean, there was a variety of causes with the environmental protesters, the ancient forest, so-called protesters. Uh, you know, they're pretty clear about what, what it is that they're opposed to, but their tactics are, are what's kind of uh, alienating and off-putting to many people. And I think, you know, if they were crazy gluing themselves to the doors of the legislature, the doors to the premier's office, for example, people would say, well, that's that's unfortunate, Or, but, you know, no one's not going to get to a medical appointment because of that. So when you target the general public as opposed to the specific politicians or, or corporations or organizations that are, are supposedly responsible for whatever your grievance is, then it, then it changes the nature of it completely. So, so what do you make of of the organizations the stop the old growth organization they are uh, unrepentant and they they are saying that they they aren't going to stop um do you think that that's a huge mistake well i guess they have to you know they've kind of dug in pretty far at this point martin (laughs) so i'm not sure how they would explain themselves saying oh uh, we shouldn't have done that i guess we'll never do it again um they're going to go through a phase of this and we've seen you know there's been repeated protests where they block roads etc different groups and uh, not just this one, and then it fades away and it stops. And and we've seen other protests over the years. Um, the only protests that really work are when you build momentum, when people say enough is enough, we agree with the protesters' cause, and, and we think that something should happen. And I don't know of anywhere, you know, significant ones where you've had mass protests and it worked, you know, in a way which was alienating to the general public. It just it just is a failed tactic. And I I'm kind of mystified. I think. You know, part of it is media. They are trying to get media, and they know that if they block a highway, they'll get media. But that—that's you know a very superficial way of looking at a strategy. It just yes, you're right. You're going to get media, and people are going to say, "What idiots!" And what about the the difference between Europe and North America? Because it sort of seems like there is is a, a tradition of these huge marches in Europe, and they they maybe it's just because it's so far away we don't. We, we don't experience it from our car stuck in traffic. I don't know. Well, it's, 
I think you're onto the fundamental difference there. One one of those protests in Europe, and we've had them here in Vancouver. I can remember 100,000 people, uh, peace protests, and in Ottawa, political protests of the 100,000 people. Um, and you have them in, in France and Italy. But what you're talking about is a mass movement of lots of people saying this is wrong. They may go to the lawn of the legislature or parliament buildings, etc. Um, whereas, by contrast, you can block the Ironworkers Bridge in Vancouver with eight people. And so this this isn't some mass movement. I mean, these guys also, it would appear, can't organize a mass protest. They they don't have the support to do so. So they're taking um, tactics that you know really only require a few handful of people and a couple tubes of crazy glue. <laughs> a couple of tubes of crazy glue. We're talking to Bill Thielman, political com- columnist and former NDP political strategist. And when we come back, I want to ask you about uh, someone who kind of took this to the extreme. And uh, I guess I guess it's called a sacrificial protest, a hunger striker. Uh, in BC. And we're going to hear the story of Howard Breen when we come back with a little more conversation right after this. And this is Martin Strong in for Ben. And we're talking uh, about protests across Canada, focusing in on a couple of them. Uh, the Rolling Thunder protesters that left Ottawa uh, last yesterday, uh, they were there for the weekend, and then in British Columbia, the group Save Old Growth, which has been um, stopping traffic quite literally and frustrating a lot of people. And Bill Thielman, political columnist and former NDP political strategist, is our guest. And uh, I want to talk about Howard Breen because you talk about putting your money where your mouth is as a protester. Uh, Howard Breen stopped eating April first. And he didn't eat again until uh, the thirty first. Yeah, it's it's pretty extreme, all right. Uh, it, certainly, it's not disrupting traffic or causing any <laughs> disruption, except to your own health and your well being. And it's it's very extreme. You know, you, you can uh, uh, people will remember that during the Vietnam War, there were Buddhist monks who let themselves on fire and died a, a horrible, fiery death to protest the Vietnam War. And we've seen uh, more uh, after that. Uh, Bobby Sands, the IRA activist in jail, went on a hunger strike till he died. These kind of things are very dramatic. They're very um, obviously extremely dangerous to anyone who takes these on. And, you know, I know Howard a little. I haven't seen him in a long time. I did not know until today when there was a story in the Tai.ca that he was on this hunger strike. So it, it clearly didn't have a huge impact in media. But, you know, he said himself, he admits that, you know, the cabinet was aware, the BC government cabinet was aware that he was doing this, and he said they were prepared to let him die. So he stopped the uh, protest, the starvation protest, and started eating again. But he had some pretty severe physical uh, symptoms of, of this malnutrition that happens when you don't eat anything for a long period of time, you even stop taking water for a while. And I don't, you know, personally, I, I think it's, again, alienating people uh, more than bringing them on board. Like, you can admire someone taking it to the max without causing disruption to everybody else, I guess. But I still think it, it just comes across as, as way too extreme for most people. It, it definitely seems very extreme. Uh, and it was to raise awareness, I should say, for the global climate crisis in Western Canada. And do you think uh, you believe it's extreme because of the cause, perhaps? I mean, if it was a different cause... Well, I don't, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I, I think what you have to ask yourself as, uh, as a protest movement in this particular case that he's supporting, is what will, what will the impact be if, if you go all the way, if, and if he had died, God forbid, 
um, there would have been a lot of media about it, and then it would have been forgotten. And and whatever steps that he wants to take or see happen, you know, stop old growth logging, stop other environmental degradation, um, would continue. And so I, I just, you know, I think it's the kind of an extreme way of trying to build some mass movement or some some common ground with with people who ordinarily or perhaps wouldn't care less. But it, you know, I just, I can't, I would never see that as being a very advisable strategy. And I guess, how do you deal with that as, as the authorities? How did the police deal with someone who's not eating? Because he, he, he was arrested, right? Um, I, I, I can't remember exactly if he was arrested, but he was certainly under medical supervision at some point, but he, and he was taken to hospital, I think, but you know, you're allowed to in this country and in other countries, you're allowed to take your own life by extreme measures. And we've seen that happen before. And we certainly now we have medically assisted, uh, death, but I think when you do it as a protest, it's, it's something where um, the enormity of your request is not in proportion to what you're doing to yourself. So, you know, like uh, one person or two people or five people saying they're going to starve themselves to death, is that going to stop all logging operations in British Columbia or the world or stop, uh, you know, oil sands or um, pipeline construction or something? No, it's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Bill Thielman, a political columnist, and, and as someone who understands political spin, what would your advice be to, for example, the, the group Save Old Growth, who want to get that message across, and there is some sympathy amongst British Columbians about old growth forests, what, how would you advise them? Well, that's the irony, Martin. They, they are they are actually turning away people or turning off people who may be inclined to support them. I would say get off the road and get into people's hearts. Uh, <laughs> easy, easy for me to say from the armchair quarterback, but, um, you know, I've been involved in lots of protests over the years. I've occupied the president of the University of BC's office for a little while to make a point. And, and you know, there's lots of things you can do that will get media uh, without going to the extremes of crazy gluing yourself to the highway. Um, and disrupting the lives of thousands of people who really, you know, they should be your allies. Or like, let's just say even 30% of them are your allies, and then you've just disrupted their lives. How does, how does that equation work exactly? So I think they've made a, a, a fundamental mistake in uh, thinking that a headline or a news story or the top of the news on, on global TV or wherever is uh, a substitute for a strategy, and it's not. And you talk about capturing people's hearts, and it is interesting how some um, events or protests just seem to to capture people's hearts. What and what what is it about it? What what is it that that people respond to? It's a very broad question, but well, I, I think you have to find some way of getting empathy from other people. So, um, uh, uh, you know, a starvation attempt is not something that most people would say, gee, I really empathize with that. They think that it's, it's extreme. Uh, gluing yourself to the road is extreme. I think that when, you know, like if you look at uh, Greta Thunberg, for example, uh, you know, her uh, single you know, climate strike by herself originally inspired tens and hundreds of thousands of people. And she became a, a huge public figure uh, for uh, the environment and uh, for uh, fighting climate change. And she didn't glue herself to the road. I mean, she just took, you know, she was a lonely teenager doing her thing for a while and people started taking notice and saying, hey, this kid is right. Uh, those are the kind of things that work. The other stuff doesn't. Yeah, and and I guess the the trucker protest, as as much bad press as it got, there were some uh, there were some victories for for that group 
in that protest. Do you, do you agree with that? I'm, I don't know that I would, to be honest. I'm not sure what the victory was. I mean, the steps that were being taken to, to reduce the, the medical and health restrictions were already underway. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there was, a, there was a good tweet saying on the uh, motorcyclists, the, the rolling thunder, saying, we, we demand you do all the things you did last month. <laughs> I mean, it's over, man. You know, yeah. So, no, that's... so I'm not sure that the trucker convoy, I mean, I think it, you know, if if it in any way sped up anything of authorities, health authorities doing stuff, uh, I, I would be surprised. I think it just caused a lot of grief and, and uh, alienated a lot of people. Yeah, there's no doubt that it did that. And there's no doubt that it got a huge amount of bad press. I was just thinking it, it did get talked about by some American politicians. And that, but that raises a whole question that we just don't have time for. Like, what, what was <laughs> the end game of that? Well, Bill Thielman, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.